This is episode 183 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life. Today's articles are Best Clothing to Have on Hand for SHTF and Root Sellers 101, Root Seller Design, Use, and Mistakes to Avoid. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, before we get started on the podcast, uh, I want to mention two things to you very quickly. The first is uh, the plague that's going on in Madagascar. Um, it is doing some things differently than it has in the past. Uh, the, you know, I've read articles where uh, you know the plague down there is normal. I mean, usually you know because it's just it's a hygiene thing, and but it has jumped uh, to other. It is acting a little differently this time, and has jumped to some of the, the the different parts of the country where it usually doesn't go to. And then I've also seen where it has jumped maybe to other countries, and so uh, they're really watching this. So just kind of keep an eye out for this one. Uh, and then the, the other one is um, you might have seen something. I really haven't done too much of this on Prepper website, and I really haven't talked about it on the podcast either, is the, uh, the Antifa or, um, yeah, the Antifa protest on November 4th. And uh, so this weekend, uh, Saturday, and and uh, I think it's just a bunch of junk. I think it's going to be, you know, a big flat tire and just a scare tactic and kind of see what's going to go out there. But other people are, you know, kind of warning against that as well. So it's always a good thing, uh, I think, to uh, to make sure that you stay situationally aware. We've been talking about that this week. If you've been listening to the podcast this week, we've talked about that several different occasions uh, one with uh, the incident that happened in Manhattan. And then yesterday um, there was an, a situation at Walmart in Oklahoma. And so uh, I think it's just, you know, good practice. But just in case, you know, things get kind of crazy, uh, be paying attention out there. Uh, you know, uh, you, we want to make sure that we stay safe and uh, we make good decisions. So I'm just going to kind of leave you with that and we'll see what happens. Uh, I'll I'll be monitoring Twitter and and uh, alternative news and, and all those kinds of things. And, of course, I think if things get crazy out of hand, you'll see it in the uh, mainstream media. But uh, we'll see. I think it's just going to – it's a big hubbub. not going to really see anything uh, major happen. But, uh, you know, we've been hearing about November 4th for a while now. So I uh, just wanted to give you those heads up there or that heads up there. Uh, our first article comes to us from BackdoorSurvival.com. Um, the article is Best Clothing to Have – on hand for SHTF. I think this is a good article. Some of this is going to be basic, um, you know, it's still still going to be some good information uh, there, and then we'll get to, get into some specific stuff uh, towards the end of this article. So let's go ahead and read this one. While clothing may seem easy to get right now, or you are thinking about how much you have that you don't wear, you should be asking yourself if you have the right items in your and your family's wardrobes to get you through a survival or bug out situation. In extreme circumstances, having the right clothing can be the difference between life and death. The type of clothing that you need to be comfortable is going to, be, is going to vary based on your climatic conditions. If you're in the swamps of Louisiana or Florida, you might not want to have two parkas on hand. This list is to get you thinking about the clothing and footwear you have on hand and how prepared you are for a survival situation. 
you will probably have some things specific to your areas that you will want to add. In this article, we will go over some of the basic clothing needs and the pros and cons of cotton versus synthetics. At the end, you will see a brief list of clothing that is in the realm of consideration for extreme climates. General note on synthetic fabrics versus cotton and hypothermia. I want to be clear that this list is based on the fact that cotton does not keep you warm when it gets wet. Hyperthermia can happen when you may never expect it. The Appalachian Mountains is my area just up to over 6,000 feet at Mount Mitchell. During the spring or summer months, getting completely drenched in the rain, even when air temperatures are in the high 50s or low to mid 60s, has led to hypothermia. These conditions are particularly dangerous because someone suffering from it might not realize how serious it is in time. Everyone thinks that hypothermia only happens in severe cold, but the actual definition means that it happens when your body temperature cannot be maintained. Your temp should be in the 98.6 degree range, so if it is 60 degrees out, then you have to have some way to make up the difference. Cotton is fabulous for comfort, and having cotton clothing as part of your stash is not something I am going to discourage at all, but just be careful about when you were, when, when and where you wear it. Always have some synthetics for those times when you might be out in inclement conditions. If you plan on bugging out, you may want to have only synthetics because of this and how lightweight they are. This includes socks. So the first one is socks. You can never have too many packs of white cotton athletic socks, especially in hot climates. As a woman with large feet, I always buy the giant packs of men's socks that fit a shoe size 8 to 13. This is a good choice for putting back because a lot of older kids and adults can wear these just fine. Tube socks also work well for fitting a variety of shoe sizes. Synthetic socks and those made of wool offer warmth even if feet get wet. During the winter, if you plan on being out on the trail, synthetics are best. Cotton can get you in trouble if you fall in cold water or just get wet and then chilled. It is hard not to stress the absolute importance of enough clean socks. Changing socks daily is very important during humid and hot weather. Socks that breathe well are best for your feet during these conditions. Airing out your feet daily is also recommended. You do not want to get athlete's foot or jungle rot. For those of you that don't know what jungle rot is, let me enlighten you. During combat situations in hot and humid climates, having wet socks on for too long and not having access to clean ones can cause you to get a fungal condition and have skin issues on your feet that never go away. This was common in Vietnam era veterans that were on the ground. You do not want a lifetime of cracked and dry skin and toenail issues. Perhaps treatments now exist, but some of the drugs used to treat these types of conditions have some major side effects and not everyone with any pre-existing condition can take them. Second one is underwear. If you have a preference, then put, the put that back, but I also don't think it is a bad idea to have some packs of Fruit of the Looms or Hanes put back that are stretchy and able to fit a wide range of sizes. I mention these particular brands because they are easy to get on Amazon at a cheap price and they can stretch enough that even a size 5 ladies would easily accommodate a much larger person. Men's boxer shorts are versatile as well. Vanity sizing, and, vanity sizing and sizing when something is made in a foreign country is pretty wacky, really. All right, um, I just want to kind of stop here and really quick mention, uh, when I was a Boy Scout, they always uh, you know, talked about changing your socks and your underwear at night before you went to bed. 
and that was just one of the things that we always did to make sure you know we're down here in the you know in Houston you know Texas we were always usually camping in the summertime and we're hot and sweaty and that was just one of the things that they always uh, made sure that you you understood that you should have enough uh, socks in, in in underwear for that or if you were going to sleep if it was summertime you know sleep barefoot uh, you know don't put any socks on but uh, always have a change of, of, of clothes for that. And the other thing I would say is, uh, you know, it is smart to put some like uh, things like underwear and socks back. Uh, to me, I just is my opinion. I don't know if anybody else can. Uh, I, I'm buying. I buy the normal Fruit of the Loom type things, you know, that you find. In um, and, and uh, I just Fruit of the Looms and Hanes. And I don't know. It's just maybe it's just me. I don't think they're they're made as well as they have been in the past. Uh, it just seems like uh, you know the fabric just starts to break down a little bit faster. I don't know. That might be me. So, but anyway, I think it is smart a smart idea to have some of uh, some of these packages put back. All right. So let me go ahead and keep going. Uh, stretchy and accommodating pants. Stretchy clothing is able to fit more people than fitted. So if you are sharing resources or if you might have to clothe someone else, emergencies don't stop there from being babies made from babies being made. In fact, sometimes emergencies lead to more being born. Stretchy or accommodating pants are fine for emergency paternity clothes and certainly better than nothing. There are also other medical concerns where some extra room may be nice to have. Rain gear. Keeping dry can save your life. There is also a decent chance that you are going to have to do more work out in the elements during a crisis so rain gear becomes something you are going to want to use more. Synthetic and cotton fabric long underwear. Cotton is great for comfort, but it is cold out and you could you you get wet wearing cotton. It can be dangerous unless you change clothing fast. Cotton also takes longer to dry out than a lot of synthetics, so if you are doing your own laundry off-grid, it is something to consider. A lot of people choose to have both synthetic and cotton versions for use at various times. T-shirts. Another staple item of clothing that can be bought in big packs. In the spring and summer I will order a 12 pack of plain white t-shirts for my husband although I do pilfer a few for my own needs. The cost le they cost less than $25 and when they are stained up from working and weed eating and such around the farm we recycle them into rags for cleaning around the house and for when we need some cotton for gun rags. There are plenty of cheap packs of t-shirts out there that come in at about $2 a shirt. No, they are not going to be thick or even last a long time, but they are good to have when roughing it and when you don't want to mess up the better clothes you have. I recommend getting a few packs in several sizes. A little too big is better than too small. An adult t-shirt can be used as a nightshirt for a child if needed, so that is something to think about. Kids grow fast, so having some clothing options that account for this is worth considering. Extra boots and outdoor footwear. Good boots are pretty expensive, but if you catch a deal, you should pick up an extra pair. It is amazing how often this critical piece of gear gets looked over. Shoes have to be sized right to be useful. In a survival situation or long emergency, it may be difficult or impossible to find replacement footwear that meets your needs. Sure, you can make something that will offer some protection, but there is nothing like a quality shoe that offers support and protection. Insoles. Even boots that are supposed to be the right size for you and are of good quality can lose support over time. During a survival situation, you may be on your feet a lot more than you could ever imagine. 
And here, even around here, even during good times, we make a point to replace our Dr. Scholl's gel work insoles every time we wear out a pair of our work boots. Sure, this means $10 every time you switch out shoes, but that is little to pay for how much it helps when doing a lot of manual labor, chores, or walking. Shoelaces and boot laces. This is one of those prepper items that can be put back a few here and there. When I see outdoor grade Kiwi boot laces on sale for 99 cents, I usually throw a few in the cart. When you work outside a lot, it is easy to go through a few pairs of laces before you wear out a pair of boots. They come in different lengths, so be sure to make sure they are long enough for the style of boots you wear. Hats. This is one where I recommend having a variety of hats to suit, your, suit you throughout the year. Knit hats are inexpensive and keep you warm. Wool is a good choice for very cold conditions. Ball hats or boonie style hats are nice for in the warmer times of the year. Hats that are adjustable in size are best for putting back. Water shoes or sandals. What happens if you have to wade a creek? While you may live in a place where streams seem pristine, all it takes is a glass shard to cause you a lot of trouble. When wading into streams or fording rivers, bathing in streams and rivers, etc., you should at least have on a pair of rugged sandals. During floods and storms, trash and sharp objects can find their way to a lot of places. Bandanas. These are handy for all types of things. You can use them for clothes to hold back... Uh, Use, use them for clothes to hold back long hair, protect your head from the sun, and for a light-duty dust mask when needed. There are all types of things out there in lots of fun designs. Pick out a few fun ones for the kids. Sometimes little things like that can be a brightness during a dark time. Jeans or other protective pants. The type of pants you want is again based on climate. Jeans are made of cotton so they are no good if you get wet and it is cold out. But for chores around the place from mild to moderate conditions, they are the standard a lot of us like. Thicker double front jeans like those made for, for loggers can provide more warmth and have a longer life than the jeans and pants that would be best for warmer climates or in the warmer months and temperature climates. Putting back clothes for growing infants and kids. Children and infants don't have the body mass of an adult, so they are going to get cold and lose body heat faster than, than an adult. They are also still growing and developing, so energy reserves can become stretched. Since kids grow so fast, it can be challenging to have clothing put back for them for harder times. I think it is safe to say that a little larger is better than too small. With a small sewing kit, you can take in clothes temporarily, if needed, and let them out again by releasing stitches. This is not a new idea or trick. It is something that used to be done years ago in big families where clothes were passed on to younger family members of the f and that were made not uh, quite big enough yet to wear them as is. Thrift store clothes in good condition can make it more affordable and have some to have some clothing put back that they can wear. If the time comes that it is no longer feasible for them to wear well, you only spend a little bit and you can donate it back to a homeless shelter or other charity. There is no perfect answer to the problem of clothes not fitting kids in uh, no time at all. Some parents may have exchanges set up with others so you can get rid of outgrown clothes and maybe get some in the right size in return. I would be interested to hear how readers are dealing with this issue of having good gear for growing kids without breaking the bank. Please comment below. Extreme Climate Gear 
Regardless of what extreme you're talking about, you're obviously going to need some different clothing if you live in a climate where it can get extremely cold or extremely hot. I'm going to talk about some options to consider and to get you thinking about your own climatic situation. Cold climate items to consider. A heavy parka, a survival suit. There are different types of these and if you live in an area where you may be at risk of falling through ice or where you have to go out in the water sometimes, they are definitely worth considering. Those that work on the Bering Strait fishing have similar suits so they can survive if dumped into the frigid waters. Heavily insulated boots, extra heavy socks, slip-on treads for very icy and snowy conditions, and snowshoes. Cold climate boot sizing tip. Those of you that have a lot of experience in cold climates don't need to be told this, but sometimes people buy their boots for extremely cold conditions one size or a half size larger to accommodate thicker socks or wearing two pair at a time. Hot climates. A long sleeve light colored and breathable shirt, somewhat like a, and I believe she's saying Wayaveta here. We use these working out in the vineyard on very hot uh, days and they are great for offering protection from the sun, insects, abrasions and more. You can get them for $30 or less on sale and they last for a very long time, so well worth the expense. A budget option is simply cotton or linen shirts from the thrift store. A tropical climate boots, even more socks and insoles to prevent moisture and fungal issues. Hat with mosquito netting or just mosquito netting you can adapt to use as needed. Saving money putting back clothes. Thrift stores and secondhand stores. I am no stranger to the thrift store when it comes to some types of clothing. Women's jeans, for example, often get tossed in the charity box before they are worn out. I find that there are far less men's jeans at Goodwill or similar thrift stores. A lot of good stuff can be found at thrift stores. In college, I bought an L.L. Bean long sleeve synthetic shirt for $3 at Goodwill and got 10 years out of it. Shop the clearance. Discount stores and shopping the clearance sections of Outfitters is also a great way to get good gear. Hey, I don't care if it's last year's fashionable colors. If it is a good deal, L.L. Bean is one of those retailers that you can buy clothes for cheaper than any mall or even Walmart if you're careful and not picky about colors. I got a $150 insulated fleece for $30 just because it was gray and black and a remainder. I still have that coat and it has been years. Buy out of season. This is one of the easiest ways to save a ton of, on clothing. End of season sales or simply buying that coat in the absolute middle of summer can reap huge savings. The $150 coat for $30 I mentioned is a prime example of this type of shopping. You can dress your whole family in designer guard for very low prices. Add a piece at a time. Trying to get everything at once is not always the best plan. It can seem overwhelming to look at the clothing list I have given you, but you can buy things a little at a time. A $10 pack of socks here and a bargain pair of pants there, and before you know it, you will have what you need. The important thing is to evaluate what you have and be realistic about needs in the survival situation. I love fashion too, but it goes out the door when it comes to survival. Sometimes it is worth some extra emails in your inbox to sign up for store mailing lists. As much as I dislike having a cluttered inbox, I find it is worth it to sign up for emails from favorite online retailers. Even if you just sign up for long enough to get your first welcome discount, it is worth it to save 10 to 20%. Jet.com, for example, has a special deal, deal where you save 15% on your first three orders. If you plan it right, you can make it count. 
Do you have any clothes you would like to add to the list? We would love to hear from you and what works for your climate. I tried to include different suggestions for some climates, but no one knows like those that live in a particular area. So uh, there are uh, plenty of comments here that you can go check out. People are talking about, uh, you know, I think it's like 22 comments. People talking about, uh, you know, the various items and, and giving suggestions. And so uh, I think it's uh, definitely worth it to go check out uh, the comments over here. But uh, definitely worth it as well to start thinking about uh, your clothes. And so what would happen in, you know, in a survival situation? Uh, if, you, if you couldn't get clothes anymore, what would happen? What would you do? Uh, you, more than likely, I mean, we, we say that we probably would be losing weight. Uh, that might be a good thing. You might have some items in your closets right now that you don't wear because you have gained some weight. Maybe you would eventually get back to, back into those things. But, uh, you know, I have kids. I mean, you know, that's something that you think about. You know, what would your kids, uh, you know, what do you have planned for them? Do you have anything planned for them? And so, uh, you know, something that uh, should be in the back of your mind. Uh, I do like the idea of, you know, having some extra socks and underwear and stuff like that put back. I think those, uh, you know, that's always just a good idea to have some of those. So that's over at BackdoorSurvival.com. Go ahead and check that one out. Uh, good article over there. All right, so uh, our next article comes to us from CommonSenseHomesteading.com. Uh, every Friday, I try to pull an article from the archives. And uh, in the past, I normally go to the Facebook group and I, and I post early enough and uh, ask for suggestions of what kind of topics uh, the group would like to hear. I didn't do that this week because it's just it's been crazy for me. I totally forgot about it. I uh, didn't realize that. Hey, man, I'm already I'm already doing the Friday podcast, and uh, just time slipped away from me. But I did go back to one of the the previous times where I had asked the group, Hey, what do you think? Uh, you know, what kind of topics would you like to 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 uh, to hear uh, hear about? And so uh, I got I pulled one of the topics that I hadn't read yet. So uh, this, uh, this article is, uh, is called Root Cellars 101, Root Cellar Design, Use, and Mistakes to Avoid. I don't really care too much about root cellars because here in Houston, in Texas, uh, we pretty much don't have root cellars. I guess maybe if you're in the, the, the very north, uh, the panhandle, uh, you might be able to get away with one, but uh, we just don't really uh, have those definitely in, in Houston and then in, you know, in the suburbs. No one's going to have a root cellar, but uh, it is something that many of you listening to this can have and really should have if you're talking about being able to preserve food. Uh, you know, if there was, uh, you know, a situation where uh, you didn't have your your refrigerator and you didn't have regular ways to to uh, to store food, uh, you would want something like this. And so, um, this um, if you're thinking about maybe. Uh, building a house if you're thinking if you have some property where you can uh, dig out uh, a hole um, there are some options here in this uh, in this article that you should hear and again uh, this article is called root sellers 101 root seller design use and mistakes to avoid uh, it's an older article that has been updated i believe and yeah, there's 49 comments here so uh, you know it's it's been around for a little bit and uh, you can go, uh, definitely, this is probably one you want to go check out and go read all the comments. So let's go ahead and read this one. There is a portion where um, they're talking about specific temperatures and uh, relative humidity rates and things like that 
for um, for different vegetables and fruits. I am not that's a long list, and I'm not going to read those because it'll be very repetitive stuff like cool and dry, airtight containers, 32 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit, 60 to 70 percent relative humidity. I don't think you want to hear me just spouting off a whole you know those numbers over and over and over again for various vegetables and fruits. So if you're interested in that uh, part of it. You're going to want to come to this uh, to this article. I think again, like I said, you're you're going to want to come to the article anyway. There's a lot of good information here, uh, pictures and, and all kinds of good stuff. So uh, let's go ahead and read this one uh, again. Coming to us from Common Sense Homestead. Uh, I think I said homesteading. It's CommonSenseHomestead.com. All right. A root cellar is a great option to include in your food storage plan since they require no energy to use and require very little maintenance. It's great if you can build in a root cellar when your home is under construction, but it's also possible to add a root cellar to your basement or build one outside your home. Root cellars are a great low-cost, no-energy way to store food and extend the shelf life of fresh produce. Types of root cellars and natural cold storage options. Natural cold storage options include traditional earth root cellars, earth berm or partial or fully above ground, entry root cellars, and barrel in the ground. A traditional earth berm root cellar. This is what most of us think about when we hear the phrase root cellar. It is normally dug down as partially or fully underground structure or dug into the side of a hill. Walls can be concrete, cinder block, or more creative materials like old tires. The only thing you need is something that will keep the walls from collapsing and something that can support the roof safely. Engage an engineer to help ensure safety. An earth berm root cellar. As above ground root cellar are usually partly sunken with earthen mounded on three sides and the door avoiding the direct sun. See the above ground root cellars post for more information. There's a link there. Entry root cellar. During construction you can add a root cellar without breaking the bank. Many new homes have small concrete exterior entry areas. Many times this concrete has a four foot footings. When you are building have the builder put in a full footings and a door in the area under the porch. Pour the concrete as a cap and add an exterior grade door and two four inch vent holes and you have a root cellar. It could also be a wine cellar or a safe room. Barrel in the ground A, and this is approximately zone six to nine. The size and depth depends on the zone you live in. A simple bucket with holes drilled in the bottom and top, buried level with the soil with a bale of hay as an insulating cover will work in zone 7 and possibly into zone 6 depending on cover and conditions. The colder and hotter zones require the bucket or barrel to be deeper and more insulation on the top to avoid the freezing surface temps. Barrel in the ground B, so this is uh, plan B, this is for approximately zones 3, three to 6. Buy one large heavy-duty garbage can and a smaller one that fits inside the larger one with an inch or two gap. Buy the larger carb garbage can and the smaller ones, uh, oh, I'm sorry, both the larger garbage can and the smaller one needs holes in the bottom and cover to allow good ventilation. Cover exterior holes with screens to keep rodents out. Prepare a hole that is deeper than the larger garbage can with rocks and gravel in the bottom to create a simple French drain. If water drains well, you will need a small amount of rocks and gravel. If soil doesn't drain well, you need to go deeper and wider so your underground storage barrel doesn't turn into a water hole. 
Another trick is to dig a very deep, large hole next to the garbage can hole and fill that hole with rocks. The deeper hole acts as a drain for your more shallow garbage can root cellar. Once you have the larger garbage can in the ground and secure, lower the smaller one into the larger barrel. Store food in the smaller barrel. When you need access, grab from the top or pull out the smaller barrel. This makes it easier to reach food at the bottom. There are many variations on this. Search garbage can root cellar for examples. Above ground root cellars and walk-in coolers zones 9 plus. For those in warmer areas, check out the post above ground root cellars and build your own walk-in cooler with a cool bot controller and AC unit. You may not be able to store things like we nor northerners can, but the above ground root cellar post will give you some ideas of what you can store, plus tips for year-round food production so you always have fresh local food to enjoy. The CoolBot makes it very affordable to use a standard AC unit for chilling a cooler built into a garage or other above-ground above storage areas. What does a root cellar need? There are five major elements that a root cellar requires. Ventilation, earth shelter, either in the basement of your home or buried outside, darkness, humidity, and shelving. Root cellar ventilation. This is one of the most common mistakes that people make when designing or installing a root cellar. They build their underground food storage airtight to keep things nice and cold and everything spoils. Why? Because some foods give off ethylene gas which speeds ripening and rotting. A root cellar that is too airtight may also build up excess humidity leading to mold and mildew. How should you ventilate your root cellar? Use two vents about 3 to 4 inches in diameter. Make sure to put screens on the outside to keep mice out. Place the vent so that one is near the top of the root cellar to exhaust stale air and ethylene gas. The other should be run down to near the floor to drop in fresh air. Four inch vents should be adequate for, for, two, for up to around an 8 by 10 room. If your cellar is larger than this, consider adding venting. This applies to barrels as well as full root cellars, larger vents for larger spaces, smaller for barrels. Vegetables and fruits should not be stored together even though temperatures and moisture requirements are similar. As fruits such as apples and pears ripen, they give off ethylene gas which decreases the storage life of vegetables. This is especially evident with potatoes which sprout early if stored near certain fruits. To combat spoilage from ethylene gas, Segregate fruits and veggies that produce excess ethylene gas from those that are easily damaged from ethylene gas. Alright, so here's a list of fruits and vegetables that may create excess ethylene gas. Apples, apricots, avocados, ripening bananas, blueberries, cantaloupe, citrus fruit but not grapefruit, cranberries, figs, guavas, grapes, green onions, honeydew, ripe kiwi fruit, mangoes, melons, uh, mushrooms, nectarines, okra, papyra, passion fruit, peaches, pears, peppers, Per persimmons, pineapples, plantains, plums, prunes, quince, tomatoes, and watermelon. So, and here's a list of fruits and vegetables that may be damaged by excess ethylene gas. Asparagus, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, carrots, cauliflower, chard, cucumbers, cut flowers, eggplants, endive, escarole, florets, green, florets greens, green beans, kale, kiwi fruit, leafy greens, lettuce, parsley, peas, peppers, potatoes, potted plants, romaine, lettuce, spinach, squash, sweet potatoes, watercress, and yams. Root cellar location in the basement or buried outside. 
By default, the word cellar means underground. A big part of why root cellars work as well as they do is that the earth remains at a relative, relatively constant or cool temperature. This temperature will vary depending on your location. Closer to the equator, and it may be cooler than air temp, but still isn't likely to act as well as a root cellar. At the opposite extreme, you have Arctic permafrost, which the native folks use to store whole animals. Retrofitting a root cellar in an existing home. For those in cooler areas, the easiest approach is typically to section off a part of the basement or maybe even the whole basement if you live in an old farmhouse for root cellar storage. Old dirt floor basements without heat are great for maintaining proper temperature and humidity levels. If you have an existing home, you may be able to section off a portion of your basement for a root cellar. Select an area with the existing window with an existing window if possible and use the window for ventilation. Fill the window with exterior grade plywood and cut the necessary vent holes through the plywood. The plywood also helps block light. Frame and insulate your desired storage area. You need to treat the inside of the root cellar as outside. Use exterior grade material that tolerate moisture exposure. The windows should be facing north so it doesn't add significant heat to the root cellar. Alternatively, box out a corner and add two exterior 4-inch vents, one low and one high. Adding a root cellar in a new home. If you are building new, you may want to consider locating your root cellar under your front porch like we did. Our root cellar measures about 6 by 8, which provides plenty of room for our stash of root veggies, plus gives a nice sized porch above. Typically, if you're building new, your porch floor is formed out of concrete slab. You need to put a foundation wall under it anyway, so why not put this area to good use? Locating the root cellar outside the footprint of the home permits the root cellar to maintain cooler temperatures more easily than a cellar located within the house. Use an exterior grade door, preferably insulated, on your root cellar to help maintain proper temperature both in the root cellar and in the house. Your basement root cellar should have no standard heating or cooling. Take note of ductwork or piping that runs through the ceiling above your root cellar, if any, and make sure vents or hot water pipes are well insulated so they don't bleed heat into your root cellar. For double duty, you can make the exterior sides of the root cellar shelves for canned goods and dry goods, assuming the area is cool and dry and not exposed to the sun. Those shelves can be your basement cool-dry pantry. We added some shelves to our root cellar for items that needed, need the steady cool temperature. The basement pantry temperature will swing slightly even though it is not heated or cooled directly. Building a root cellar outside the home. For an exterior root cellar, similar rules apply. Ventilation, earth sheltered, and no light. A north-facing door is preferred to avoid sun beating in and heating your cellar up. Aim for at least one or two feet of soil covering the root cellar and make sure you choose a pre-made option. Some people have used new septic tanks or materials that are, that are rot resistant and can stand the weight of wet soil. Root cellar lighting. Light exposure is the enemy of food storage. Every time I see people lining up their canning jars or spices on open shelves, I cringe. It, I cringe. It looks beautiful, but light bleaches out the color and the nutrients values of food. In the root cellar, light exposure may lead to sprouting and green potatoes. If you're venting through a window, cover the rest of the window. If you have a light in your root cellar so you can see your food storage better, don't leave the light on when you're not using it. A hunk of burlap drawn over bins of potatoes or fruit 
will allow ventilation while still blocking the light. A single incandescent light switched on exterior should provide adequate lighting. Unless your room is really huge and if for some reason your storage gets too cold, you can always use it to introduce a little heat. Draping an old sheet over the items can reduce light exposure also. Root cellar humidity, keeping things moist but not wet. Checking the storage chart below, you'll see that most fruits and vegetables store best with fairly high humidity. If you have a dirt or gravel floor in your root cellar, you're in luck because the natural ground moisture will help keep your produce damp. Produce will give off some moisture on its own, but if you note that your produce is shriveling, your root cellar is probably too dry. Take, take a tip from the grocery store and try a little misting action with a spray bottle. Avoid getting any area too wet as that can lead to standing water and potential mold growth. Some people left trays of water in the root cellar, but beware doing that as it can also result in bacteria, bacteria or mold growth. Root cellar shelving. Shelving should allow airflow and add storage. Shelves at multiple heights can be used to store different items. Good shelves make the root cellar more usable and accessible. 2x4s with a gap allow airflow or plywood with gaps in the back will, also, will work also. How to store fruits and vegetables in the root cellar. This is the approach I use in our root cellar. Onions and garlic don't mind it a little warmer and drier so I store them in trays on higher shelves. They can sit out in your kitchen for a while too. Storing in trays on the shelf allows for good ventilation. Also, if an onion starts to go bad, they can be spotted and removed immediately before they spoil the whole batch. My mom used to store her onions in mesh sacks, but many times one bad root would spoil a large number of those around it. Potatoes go close to the floor where it's cooler in moisture, but not moisture, but not wet, because too much moisture will cause rot. I cover the potatoes with burlap or landscape fabric to block out the light and prevent green potatoes but allow ventilation. A few cabbages go on the top shelf and apples go out, go out in the garage in a container. Pumpkins and squash go on the floor of the canning pantry or the top shelves in the root cellar because they like it a little warmer and drier. I store vegetables that need more moisture in buckets, bins, or boxes packed with lightly damped leaves. For us, this usually means beets and carrots. I overwinter parsnips over, out in the garden. I tried packing vegetables in sawdust and in sand, but prefer the leaves. For me, sand stayed too moist and let, led to rotting. Plus, it made a terrible mess. Sawdust was also very messy, but better than sand. It stuck to all the little root hairs. The leaves provide moisture to keep, up, keep your roots from shriveling up, but are easy to brush off with much less mess. Do use fresh leaves each year to prevent potential pathogen buildup. Compost the used leaves. Recommended root cellar books. The best resources we have found on root cellars is the book Root Cellaring Natural Cold Storage of Fruits and Vegetables by Mike and Nancy Bubel. No matter, no matter what your location or how much space you have, the Bubels are likely to have a root cellar option that will work for you. It contains detailed explanations of how to store vegetables and fruit without electricity with specific temperatures and humidity recommendations for each variety. There are also good photos and diagrams which I really like. The complete root cellar book is more recently published and has also gotten good reviews. And so she links to both of those there. Root cellar storage requirements, temperature and humidity. The chart below gives preferred temperature and moisture ranges for root cellar storage 
of a variety of fruits and vegetables adapted from the University of Missouri Extension Office. Click here or on the image below to download printable PDF version of root cellar storage requirements. So anyway, so you have that PDF that you can download and also all these other, uh, all this other information that I told you, all the fruits and vegetables that um, give the, uh, all the information that you need to keep them in a root cellar uh, and you want to have all that information. I'm not going to read that. You can go check that out. Uh, you can either download that PDF or you can go check it out on the on the website because uh, that just would be very redundant. All right, the length of time that fruits and vegetables keep well in root cellars depends on several factors. Early or late crops, late maturing crops store better. Storage conditions, less than ideal conditions, shorten storage life. Fruit and vegetable conditions at storage time. Proper curing of damage-free produce results in longer storage life. The odor of strong smelling vegetables like turnips and cabbage can be absorbed by fruits and other vegetables. Store them away from other foods and where the odor cannot waft in, into the house. Do not allow fruits and vegetables to freeze. They will get mushy and rot. For a detailed explanation of garlic and onion storage, see how to grow garlic from planting to harvest and how to harvest, cure, and store onions. Alright, so like I said, uh, well, there's a couple of other related posts that you can check out. And uh, I said there's over 40 different comments that you can check out and, uh, uh, you know, go read and a bunch of helpful advice uh, over at commonsensehomestead.com. A uh, good article over there. And like always, I will link to all the um, uh, all these articles in the show notes. And so you can go to them uh, very, very easily. Or you can come over to the Prepper website, podcast.com. Hey, that's it for another week of podcast. I want to thank you again for being a part of the Prepper Website Podcast. And if you're a part of our Facebook group, I want to thank you for being a part of the group as well. If you're not a part of the group, you're welcome to come and uh, check us out. You can uh, just go You can go over to amoreselfrelientlife.com and put that in your web browser and that will take you straight over there. Or you can come to the website, theprepperwebsitepodcast.com, and click on uh, Facebook group, and it will get you over there, and you just request to join, and uh, we'll get you in. If you are new to Facebook, and you're not a part of any groups or anything like that, and you just your profile doesn't look like it's, uh, well, it looks like it's brand new, uh, you might need to send me an email, and just let me know, hey, Todd, I requested, uh, my name is so-and-so, and I requested uh, you know, to join the, the Facebook group, uh, will you let me in? And uh, I'll make that happen. Also, you can always come to the Prepper Website Podcast uh, website and come over to episode 183 and drop me a line in the comment section. Always love to hear from listeners. Or you can always hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hey, this weekend, if you're looking for more preparedness information, you can come over to PrepperWebsite.com. That's where we have all of all the articles. And uh, that's uh, we have tons of information, preparedness information there. And uh, you can just kind of get lost there. But so if you're looking for more preparedness information, that's the place to go. Uh, we have specific pages dedicated to DIY, frugal living, uh, conspiracy, alternative news, firearms on the top right hand corner. Uh, you can go do that. And also uh, just want to leave you with this. If you are uh, you know, purchasing, making any purchase through Amazon, if you'd like to support the podcast or the website, uh, we'd appreciate it if you used our Amazon link. Um, I have Amazon links on all of my websites, Ed That Matters, PrepperWebsite.com, and ThePrepperWebsitePodcast.com. And you just you know, go there, click there, and go to Amazon. And regardless of what you buy, um, you know, regardless of what you buy, we get a small little percentage. It doesn't cost you any more, but it is a little blessing to us. 
Uh, and so, it's, you know, we appreciate that. So I just want to kind of throw that out there as uh, winding down uh, the week, the podcast week. And uh, just uh, want to wish you a good weekend. Hope you get some rest, maybe some dirt time. And, uh, you know, be prepared uh, uh, in, to add some skills to your skill set. With that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace.